This is Spankalicious. You're listening to KCOU Columbia, 88.1 FM. Coming to you live from Columbia, Missouri, this is The Hot Corner with your hosts, Patrick Harrion, Michael Imami, and Logan Franz. One hour of nonstop sports starts right now. And good morning, Columbia. Welcome to another edition of the Hot Corner. I'm your host, Patrick Carey, and alongside me is Michael Imami and Logan France. It is Thursday, January 28th, the year of our Lord, 2021. Another Thursday edition of the Hot Corner here. It's going to be a, it's going to take a little bit of time for me to get used to saying Thursdays here on the show. But without further ado, it is time to discuss sports. But before we do that, we're going to do our usual little segment here. We complain about the weather because it's cold. Like, it, it is cold. I wore earmuffs in this morning. It wasn't that bad. I just put my, my hood up um, or my hoodie up on my jacket, and then I just put on earmuffs, and it was totally fine for me at least. I don't know. I mean, I had to stand out there and wait, so yeah, it's I just, didn't find it that big of a deal. It's just that frigid cold, but it's not necessarily super bad. I'm going to do the thing that we always do, but there's not much wind. There is not much wind. There's not much wind, so it's kind of that. It's, it's, for me, it's more of the illusion of there's no sun out when we're walking into the studio. So it automatically feels cold. And you get out there, and it's like 19 degrees this morning. Actually, no, it's cold. It's 13, excuse me. Major difference between 13 and 19 when it comes to temperature. Right. It actually got colder since I woke up, because I woke up and it was like 18. Now it's 13. So. Yeah. That's great. And the thing that's scary is is um, yesterday, when all the snow came down, the thing is, is it was relatively cold. It wasn't too cold. Still freezing temperatures for snow. But tonight, obviously, after all the snow had settled, you got those 14, 15 degree temperatures. That stuff gets stuck. I mean, it gets sticky and hard. And, you know, that's one of those things where if it's on the ground and it's like that, it turns into ice. And then you're trekking over to the station and you're worried about falling. Shout out to our grounds crews here for making sure that the sidewalks are safe because I can tell you one thing. Last year, it was craziness. They were working around the clock, making sure everybody got everywhere safe. They did, and they're doing it again this year. And credit to them for doing that. It's been it's been working. It certainly has. I mean, on, on the way here, it, there was there was a little bit of ice, but that's by U Center, so I believe that's right. done by U Center themselves. But honestly, all those sidewalks are clear, minus the whole night thing and feeling frozen. Right. Yes, people from Chicago can't hate the cold. That is, we all don't like the cold. I, I don't know where people get that I, I, stereotype from, but it is awful. I hate it. If we're up to me, I live somewhere where it's warm all the time. I don't yeah, think you, you like the cold. I think you're just used to it. And you can tolerate it better. It. That's I what I accuse it. you of. I don't I, say I that you. It. I don't say that you like the cold. I, I don't feel most people feel that way. I think most people think that you guys. Oh, you're from Chicago, so you should be used to it. That's what we think. I don't know if you ever truly get used to it, but that's awful. that's a discussion hey, for a different day. One thing I can get used to is the Packers losing in the NFC Championship. I love it. I love it, too. So we're on the same page there. Yeah, yeah, last weekend, AFC and NFC championships were played. This weekend is supposed to be the worst game of football ever, also known as the Pro Bowl, which they ruined when they took it out of Hawaii. So we're not even going to discuss the Pro Bowl because it's useless, and it's not a good metric to judge any kind of player for anything because all it is is fan voting, and it's completely irrelevant. And people who use the Pro Bowl to back why their players are good are just totally wrong. Now that that's been said, we can discuss what happened in the NFC and AFC, right? I was speaking the truth there. Yeah, go for it. I just, I, I like how you were like, 
railing against the Pro Bowl there, and I feel like you spent a lot more time on it than you need to do. Yeah. Well, if the Pro Bowl were yeah. a real thing, Brady would have been playing, or what? Not they're not playing, but they would have. Brady would have been elected to it. So that's how I feel about that. Yeah, but really, looking back at last week's games, a lot of people have been discussing the Packers and what the future holds for Aaron Rodgers. Is he going to be gone? That's kind of like, you know, the big topic right now or why they kicked the field goal instead of going for it. That's another that's that's a complete topic that we can break down and explain why coaches are gutless nowadays when it comes to big situations like that. Or more importantly, one that I always bring come back to is the third and ten short pass. But that's another rant (laughs) for another. I can spend an entire show just ranting on that thing. Yeah, it felt like this week was kind of the week and like coaches not being aggressive, even though they've been aggressive all season. Like, against the Chiefs, Sean McDermott elected to kick field goal after field goal and never went for it. And then at the very end of the game, Matt LaFleur for the Packers decides to kick a field goal and go for it when even if, like, the the field position would have been almost exactly the same if you had just gone for it and missed. In fact, it probably would have been better. They would have been farther back than they would have if you had just kicked it off. But you need the touchdown anyways. Like, a field goal doesn't change anything in that situation. You're still going to need to go down the field and score against, so I don't know why you don't just tie it up. And then now you have Brady and his offense playing in a situation where they're tied, and it just it changes. I, I, I don't get it. I could go on forever. but Yeah, and this point's been brought up by numerous radio hosts because I think we saw this a lot. We saw this against the Titans game with Titans-Ravens. We saw conservative play with the Chiefs and Browns. We saw conservative play with the Chiefs and the, tit- uh, and the Bills. Excuse me. And I think the big thing is, is if you are making a decision and your opponent is cheering you on or saying, oh, thank God they're bringing out the punt team or, oh, thank God they're bringing out the field goal unit, uh, chances are you're probably not doing something right. And I was listening to a podcast again. uh, Clay Travis brought this up as well when he was talking about uh, uh, the uh, Titans game. He was referencing the Titans and the Ravens game. And I want to give him credit because he was the one that brought up the point. When you make a decision like that and your opponent is excited about it, if you're playing against your opponent and your opponent wants you to lose or wants you to, yeah, wants you to lose, that's probably not a good idea. And at Sean McDermott, how about not kick field goals? Because field goals are not going to beat the Chiefs. If Andy Reid has the ball and it's fourth and inches or fourth and one, he's going to go for it. And he's done it time after time after time. And, you know, a lot of the time when you have coaches like that, when they take the chance, it often pays off and it pays big dividends. And, you know, I mean, you'd much rather be, honestly, on the risky side of things and lose that risk than actually, you know, not take that risk at all because the people that don't take risks don't usually get anywhere. That's how you get someplace. I, I was saying when, when when you're looking at the Chiefs, they remind me a lot of Alabama in college. In order to beat Alabama, you got to go punch to punch them. You got to go down the field. You got to score basically every single drive. And what the Bills did is just to kind of like you you have to go for it in situations. I understand kicking a field goal if you're out if you're like it's if it's like a forty plus yard and it's in certain scenarios, but when you're playing against the Chiefs, you got to take every drive and you got to try to score a touchdown every single time because that's the only way you can keep up with them. Yeah, I get it early on because it's kind of, you know, trying to just build it up and you still have plenty of time. But Sean McDermott just kept doing it. And the Chiefs just kept pulling ahead because they were scoring touchdowns while they were kicking field goals. It just doesn't make sense to me. But to that point that you need to score touchdowns to beat the Chiefs, I saw this incredible stat. I think it was um, Sunday night, Monday morning. And it said that 
the Chiefs in the playoffs, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, average 3.47, I think was the exact number, points per drive. That means that for every drive they go down the field, they're expected to score more than a field goal, which is just ridiculous to me. So, yeah, to that point, you need to score touchdowns if you want to beat the Chiefs. Now, if you can believe this, the last time I believe Patrick Mahomes lost a game by multiple scores. Texas uh, Tech. Texas Tech back in 2016, if you guys can believe that. So clearly the success factor is there with him, and I certainly think that he will have a very successful NFL career as he is still young and he already has to uh, this Michael, point. I, I, don't, I don't think that's, that, here's that's, this, that's here's, here's something the, you really need to predict there. Here's the idea here. Okay, right now no one is competing with him. Okay, and that's a problem. And everyone's like, "Oh, we get you know, you got Trevor Lawrence coming in next season. We haven't seen a single bit of tape of him in the NFL yet, and everyone's already putting him in the Hall of Fame." And then you've got the other guys that are coming in, Lamar Jackson, who has proven to be hanging with Mahomes, but he couldn't quite get there. He can't get over the edge. Here's the thing, okay? The AFC is going to be stacked next year in terms of quarterbacks. That's just the way that's going to work. And the AFC is going to be one of the most watchable, I think probably the most watchable conference in terms of that. And they have a real shot to kind of overpower the NFC's, you know, power on the situation, it on the quarterback situation. And they certainly did this year. Because I can tell you right now, the NFC might have Brady and Rodgers, although Rodgers is not guaranteed if he stays in Green Bay. The AFC's got all these new, you know, young gunslingers that are coming up that can really compete with Mahomes. And I want to see Mahomes challenge better than what I've seen because right now he is just outmatching opponents. And I don't know if it's 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 a little bit of him, it's a little bit of Andy Reid, too. I think it probably is both. But as of right now, I mean, it seems to me every time a team plays Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, they just seem flat out terrified and never want to take chances. Well, and that's the thing. It's not just like if it was just Patrick Mahomes. He might be easier to stop, but it's not. It's also, you know, Andy Reid being probably throughout the past couple of years the best coach in the league. It's Tyreek Hill. It's Nicole Hardman. It's, you know, you name it. They can beat you in so many different ways. Travis Kelsey, I didn't even mention. Say, like, like, you, you forgot the, you forgot the, what the, the second best player. Yeah, I wasn't even I was thinking tight for... end. But, like, they can beat you in just so many different ways, and that's why they're so hard to stop. Their defense isn't great, but it doesn't need to be because their offense is just that much better. The defense is just so average, but it doesn't even matter. It's like they don't they don't even have to exist. I mean, there's, there's so many other reasons why this team could be, and I know that sounds crazy, but there's so many other reasons why this team can pull ahead. And the thing is, is if you are down by multiple scores and you punt and there's time left in a game, I do not understand. Actually, in any situation, if you're down by multiple scores and, and the clock's winding down, to me, I think it's 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 obvious that you go four on fourth and one there. And um, I think Sean McDermott was more interested in losing by less points than he was in winning the game. And that, to me, is an unfortunate, sad thing for, for, for Bills fans. Mm-hmm. Especially in the playoffs. Like, I could get it maybe if it's a regular season game. It's still it's still a bad call. But this is the playoffs. If you lose, you're out. So what exactly are you losing by swinging for the fences and, you know, trying to tie the game or trying to keep the game closer than it already is? I just, I, I don't get it. I really don't. Gutless play calling is the worst thing in football other than the third and ten screen pass. <laughs> well, that's that's a part of it's pretty much. play yeah. calling. Yeah, I mean, but I, I get your points. The playoffs and everything. Now, in the regular season, I still say it, go for it regardless because I want to score on every drive. Yeah, me too. I want to but... score a touchdown whenever I can. And I'm not a fan of punting. In my, in my many years of being a dynasty in NCAA 14, I very rarely punted, so therefore I am an expert in offense and defense and coaching. Anyway... <laughs> 
still, I, I can't wrap my head around, and I don't think I ever will, because you're going to get a different response when asked when he when McDermott's asked a question. He's like, "Well, I thought this and this." When in reality, he's probably sitting in his room at night, regretting every decision that led up to that moment. But what I want to talk about before we head off to break, or for a little bit here, is the future of Aaron Rodgers. And now, a lot of people are comparing it to Brett Favre, saying, "You know, is he going to go to a rival?" Some people are like, "Is he going to go to the Bears?" Probably not. I don't know how I would feel about that. They they but. would need to trade with Chicago, and that's probably not going to happen. Yeah, that's not happen. So, I mean, Washington did it with Philadelphia. Yeah, Washington but traded but McNabb. This, this is the Bears and the Packers. I don't care. It's division. It's it's not like this is unprecedented. That would be unprecedented. Washington traded or uh, Philadelphia. When was the last time the Donovan Packers McNabb. traded anyone to the Bears? I don't know, but I'm just telling you. The, if the discussion is division rivals never trade with their with their other division rivals, that statement is false because that has happened before in the NFL. It's very few and far between, especially no, when. Yeah, of course I understand that, but I'm just saying it's not like it has never happened before. Especially when it's a franchise quarterback. Like that's the thing here. This is Aaron Rodgers. If you want to play Aaron Rodgers twice a year, then trade him to your division. But I really doubt they're going to want to do that. But regardless, I mean, I. I would venture he stays in Green Bay. I really don't know if they're going to let him leave there. I know they drafted Jordan Love in the first round last year and this, that, and the other, but I just don't see a scenario where Aaron Rodgers isn't a backer in 2021. It just seems, I mean, we said that about Brady for last year, so, you know, take that for what it's worth, but it in, just in, doesn't in, feel possible to me. In reference to what I said, uh, it's been 30, oh, not 30, it's been, it's been 22 years since the Bears and Packers made a trade, and that was... Glenn Milburn in exchange for a 1999 seventh round pick in 1999. So uh, it's been a very long time. It's <laughs> yeah, a little bit of nice trivia time, for you. Here's the thing. Okay, yeah, he's not going to the Bears, and I wouldn't want him to. Um, but the deal with Aaron Rodgers is right now you have probably a guy coming off of, I'd say probably statistically his best season. Um, of all time. And for me to say that is just incredible. 48 touchdowns, like what, five, six interceptions? I mean, that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Uh, Passing yardage wasn't up to the 5,000 mark like I'd want it to be, but it's still up there in the 4,000s, 4,400s. Had a very good completion percentage, led the league in a variety of statistics, and had a solid year this year, and and really should have put this one away. I mean, 13-3, and home playoff game, NFC Championship. That's the best opportunity I think he will ever have at the, as of this point to make the Super Bowl and to break that curse, him being 1-4 and four in NFC Championship games. To me, it would not really make sense, but I can see it happening because Brady had done it. If he goes to an AFC team, um, I don't know if he's going to go with a division rival. As I said, I don't think the division rival thing is really possible because no one's going to want to play Rodgers twice. And I don't think it's smart to really trade him. But And I don't think I don't think he should retire either because I think his body is great. But I do think he's one hit away from you know, what happened, which is what happened with Breeze, where, you know, you had the collapsed lung issue, the broken ribs, and he was kind of mulling it over. Yeah, but the, and thing, then is, realized, the thing is, Breeze has been kind of going downhill the last couple of seasons. He has, yeah, he was, has gone up. He was already struggling. Rogers, meanwhile, is like he's, 35 years yeah, old. He's, he's and he not got going better. anywhere right now. It started, you started to hear about it after he took that hit. And that was the thing. It's like, that's what you worry about. Rogers seems pretty durable. He has had a couple of... Uh, collarbone issues but the thing is is one, one wherever thing, he ends up 
where where did this? I mean, I, I've been hearing the Drew Brees washed up things for the last two seasons. I don't think like, he was. It's not, it's not about being washed up. It's about him really kind of contemplating retirement, and I think yeah, that changed the game. No, well, yeah, I mean, Big Brady's between thirty-five and thirty-nine. Didn't we still hear that last year? Also, I just wanted on the record that Drew Brees hasn't officially retired yet. He's okay. We're we're assuming he does, but it's there's still a chance he just comes back for another season. If you saw the way he looked back at the stadium. After he walked yeah, out, that to the could have been room. that could have been a goodbye to New Orleans. He's retiring. Could have been. Yeah, I'm just. I'm. Yeah, probably. I'm just saying it hasn't officially happened yet. Like I it has don't like think it's possible that he um, he signs anywhere else. I mean, I, I think that he's he's either with New Orleans or he's done. And I think the possibility well, think is likely that he's done. I think he's still under contract with New Orleans, so it doesn't really matter if he would sign anywhere else. Because I don't. They're not trading <laughs> Breeze. I mean, that's yeah, they're not going to. Outrageous. So if he comes back, he'll come back. I don't, I don't think he will, but that's still that's still a possibility. Majority doesn't think that, but the thing is, is Rogers here. Back to what we were saying here with Rogers. I think he goes with AFC if if he's going anywhere. Stays in Green Bay. I think that's a good best decision for him. But as he said, it's a beautiful mystery, so we just don't know. But AFC to me seems more likely than NFC. Than yeah, NFC. when I just when I think about it off the top of my head, the first team that comes to mind is the Colts, just because they're a team that can kind of win throw right old, away. They're they just throw old quarterbacks in it. No, not. Well, they're they're, they're a quarterback. They're like a franchise quarterback away. Maybe a couple other pieces need to fall into place next season for them, but I feel like they're a team that would go with like a 30-plus-year-old rather than drafting a guy, especially because they also pick late in the first round. So that just kind of all adds up to Rodgers or Stafford in, you know, whatever trade, and they go from there. That just seems just seems to make sense. Yeah, I can see the Colts. Uh, I've also, I've, a lot of people are saying I've seen the Niners in the NFC. I think, honestly, I think that's a very good choice given, you know, Maybe they want to like patch things up after they passed up on Rodgers and goodness and gracious! I mean, how many teams are having questions at quarterback? A lot. It 18, feels... 19? I mean, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, and it's weird because like halfway through the season, we were like, "Oh, there's not." It feels like there's less of those, but now it feels like there's like more. There's the Jets, the Jaguars, and those are probably going to be answered in the draft. And then you get the Lions are in flux. The Texans are in a weird spot. The Packers have you know Aaron Rodgers might See, be leaving. I'm, I'm like writing off the Lions as just being the Lions, so like it's kind of in its, it's, it's it's in its own category. It's yeah, just, well, yeah, and Stafford is what they are. Stafford is still on the roster, but it's made it's been made pretty clear he's going to be gone. And then if you want to keep going, there's Washington, there's the Bears, there's. You know, there was one other team that came to mind that I can't think of right now, but there's just so many different Three teams. Three out of four AFC South teams don't have a decision at quarterback. The Steelers don't have a decision at quarterback yet. I think Roethlisberger might stay. We'll see what the deal is with that. Raiders, we don't know. Chargers, obviously Herbert's going to stay. Broncos, we don't know. Chiefs, Mahomes is obviously going to stay. Bills, Patriots, Jets, or excuse me, Dolphins, Patriots, Jets, Dolphins, it's likely that they keep Tua, um, and, and well, they will, but they, they have to make the decision with Ryan Fitzpatrick. And then obviously you've got the NFC with Washington, New, New York, I think Jones stays, Dallas, Philadelphia, Seattle, I think it's fine, Rams, Cardinals, 49ers, and then obviously we talked about the Packers, Bears, Lions, Saints, and then Saints, Panthers, and Falcons. So that's going to be a... I mean, there's just a lot of teams here. There's also just a lot of guys that could be conceivably on the move this season more so than before. Like, we were we were just talking about Rodgers, and I mentioned Stafford. Watson's probably going to be on the move, too, unless this new head coaching hire is something that he's on board with. So there's just—it's weird. Last season, we were talking about how, like, oh, there's all these quarterbacks, and they're going to be changing homes. And now it really feels like it's 
that, but elevated even more this offseason. All right, we're going to take a short break. We come back. Baseball talk here in Hot Corner on KCU 8.5 and KCU.FM. If you love them enough to turn off your music and pretend like their music is your music. Ah, this is Mommy's Jam. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Let's play it again. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. For nearly 15 years, India's House has brought traditional North Indian cuisine to downtown Columbia. Featuring staples such as tikka masala and tandoori breads, India's House is sure to warm the soul. Located at the intersection of Broadway and Hit, open for delivery or curbside pickup. And now, a poem. Tikka masala is red, and you're feeling blue, but once you're at India's House, you'll feel anew. Tristan. Hmm? Tristan, what is this? What? Tristan, what is it? Just Shazam. Just Shazam it. I don't have I don't have Shazam. Can you can you do it? Just Shazam, I don't I don't I don't have Shazam. Can you can you just do it? No, you, you do it. Save yourself the Shazam. If you like a song, check out what was that There has been a lot of debate in the baseball world the last couple days given the release of the non-existent class of 2021 in the Hall of Fame. And we're going to talk about that in a couple minutes here as we go through just a little bit of recap as what's been the biggest news in baseball regarding free agency. And that's AJ Realmuto staying, going to the Phillies, I believe $115 million deal, five years wild. But... And another big change is really Lester to the Nationals. Yep. Well, we discussed that, I believe, last week. And it's still a little bit of a learning curve for me to look at that. and just Kluber with the Yankees as Kluber well. Kluber with the Yankees as well. That's another one. But really the big question here is Trevor Bauer and where is he going to go? I've heard some stories about him at the Mets. They gave him some outrageously huge contract. And he didn't answer back or he said possibly. And it's really kind of confused logic because the Mets – the Mets just traded Steven Matz a couple days ago. And it's something that's to the Blue Jays. And I don't know really. The Mets just keep raising questions for me like they do every season. It's like, hey, the Mets, is it a, is it their year like, again? Are we going back to discussing this again, Michael? I think we are. And it's funny because this is kind of like Trevor Bauer just leaving the Mets on red, if you want to put that in, in perspective. <laughs> I mean, literally, it's to me, it's oh, just man. like, you know, you reach out to somebody, hey, you want to do this, blah, 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 and just read at the bottom. That's exactly what Bauer did to the Mets. And, you know, I love talking about Trevor Bauer because he's just such an interesting guy in terms of the kind of contracts he signs. You never know what he's going to do. He signed a bunch of one-year deals. Is this the year that he breaks out of that? I have no idea. But right now, to me, the threshold for the amount of money there is just, it, it's it's it's... It's immense. I mean, you can't 
really pinpoint exactly how valuable a guy is until you kind of can come to a foregone conclusion that he's going to be healthy, which is just not necessarily the case all the time, especially if you're playing on a team in New York that's, you know, really on any team in New York because the Yankees yeah, have had their fair share of injury see, problems. The, the difference is between – they're not the Yankees. There is kind of that – that one cousin that sits in the, that's that's just there and existing and no one really talks that much about them. Uh, to me, the Mets strike me as like the ugly stepsister. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like you got the Yankees who are like you know the the, the sister that's you know up there, and then you've got the ugly stepsister that's that's there. And I think that Mets fans like that. They like the fact that they're kind of the odd man out. They're not really talked about. The Yankees are are kind of the 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 brunt of what New York is at the, as of this moment. They've obviously the more storied franchise and you got the Mets who came in the National League I think in the um early 60s early 60s yeah that's right they used to play at the old polo grounds yeah and so that 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 to me I think they're a lovable lovable franchise for that reason I mean personally I can't stand them because they play in the same division as my team but uh, you know it's like I can understand why so many people like them over there and they have a, a really good following and you know the big thing for me is if power ends up there I think this really kind of I would say puts the Mets over the edge in that division, and I think it really kind of turns the attention towards them. And that's something we haven't seen with the Yankees since really, I would say, what, 2015, 2014? When were that, the Mets made that World Series run against the oh, Royals that was that 2015. Year. 2015. Was, that's when they swept the Cubs in the NLCS, and I was yeah. hardcore rooting for KC in that one. Daniel Murphy and Curtis Granderson, and where Murphy hit like a home run in like how many straight yeah, postseason games. Don't remind games. me, okay? I don't yeah. want to talk about it. I'm a little. <laughs> Those rainy, cold nights in Chicago as he's that rounding was, the bases. That, that was the beginning of my hatred of the Mets. A lot of it comes from my dad, who back who the Mets have just been a pain in the side of the Cubs for a long, 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 long time. But really, the Trevor Bauer situation. I mean, I know a lot of people like him, and he's 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 quite the character. But I just find him kind of just annoying at this point. Like all the stuff he does on Twitter about, and it's just like, okay, man, we get it. Like we know you like to fly your drones around and you think you're all cool and you have your your drive line stuff, which I have done when I used to play baseball back in the day, back in the glory days. But <laughs> just I'm more on the point of just dude, just sign already, please. Because this this is being like extended for a long while. It's it's gonna keep going. I mean And I and I hope we do not get the same kind of stuff that happened a couple seasons ago where free agency was going well in the spring training. Yeah, and you had the whole I was gonna bring up the whole Bryce Harper situation. Um, and the Manny Machado situation as well, and that that was a pain, and I, I it was annoying because I think when egos play a factor, things just get really obnoxious, and I think that I don't want to call Trevor Bauer out on that, but I think that the guy definitely does have an ego. Now we kind of look at his situation and where he's kind of in a little bit, I would say, on the eccentric side in terms of personality. He's not the type of guy that's you know you're you're typical baseball player if you took a typical baseball player you don't think of trevor bauer um the type of guy that likes to sign one-year deals which just doesn't really happen he, he, uh, he likes to bet on himself in well, the mlb give him props too no yeah i mean that's that's an admirable quality and i'm just saying it's just not something that most people would do and i think that when you're dealing with a guy like that i mean he's like a you know, box of chocolates i mean you never know what you're gonna get and so this is the situation here right now where okay if the mets sign him it's definitely going to be for more than a one-year deal. I don't know if he wants the, to take the, that the chance. The numbers being thrown around is a four-year deal with at least one opt-out opportunity. Now, that crazy 
crazy tweet done by uh, Bob Nightingale back on the 26th about the crazy record-setting deal, which is currently held by Cole right now. That's apparently not exactly truthful, but rather it's it's more of a strong ta- a strong uh, uh, offer on the table. It's not a crazy record-setting average annual value like the, what the Yankees gave to Cole, but it's probably an outrageously huge contract for four years. What I don't if it's mean... a four-year, one-billion-dollar contract? Michael, I'm just going to ignore that comment. Yes, Logan? <laughs> I don't mean to um, like derail this conversation. I just want to make a comment about something. Michael, when you get a box of chocolates, you pretty much know what you're getting, and that's chocolate. That's not true. Um, you don't know what types if of chocolates you're If you're gifted a box get. of chocolate, that's different. Yeah, but if you're getting just a box of chocolates, you probably know at least in a general sense what's in there. You know what I mean? And it, it's chocolate at the end of the day. Well, someone call up the individual who is in charge of idioms and tell him that he is an idiot because clearly, clearly. That was really good. I really liked that. Thank you. We can we can move on. Anyway, <laughs> I hinted at it earlier today, but earlier in the segment, there is no official class of 2021 in the Hall of Fame, and that's something that has really split the baseball world in half. Now, there are some names in the list of players who are not in the Hall of Fame who were released on the ballot, which garner a lot of hatred, a lot of people just despise them in many different ways. One of them, Kurt Schilling, phenomenal baseball player. Outside of the field, not that great. Barry Bonds, another player who's been on the ballot for the last, I believe, six six or so seasons. Another, another guy who cheated, went against the game, said on in front of the Supreme Court, that he did not cheat, which he did. He lied. Same with Roger Clemens. But for whatever reason, Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, I believe, gets more votes than Clemens. So I don't know what kind of like weird, twisted ideological theory there is in there, where Bonds is somehow better at this, better than Clemens in terms of you know cheating. <laughs> but really, there were 14 people on the ballot who, who submitted ballots this year in the Baseball Writers Association who left it blank. And I don't know what kind of, I don't know if they're saying, you know, this class was awful or I can't vote for these guys. But, I mean, that's what the, the Hall of Fame is for the best baseball players of their era. Now, Grant, who did not cheat, let me clarify that. Cheating, if you cheated, like Bonds or Clemens, you do not deserve to be within half a mile of the Hall of Fame. Same with A-Rod, but people are somehow like, A-Rod's fine, even though he got caught twice. As you can can tell, I am a very passionate person against the use of steroids in baseball. But looking at how, what happened with Schilling, and and I understand what kind of a person he is, but when you're looking at it in terms of baseball, and in terms of some of the greats, Schilling deserves to be in there. Now, you may not agree with... And a lot of people don't. I'm, I, I, you, he could be, he could be a completely awful person outside of the game. But what he did in the game is worthy of being in the Hall of Fame. I don't like the idea of a character clause, and I also don't like the idea of people voting on other people's character because a lot of other people, especially the people voting, have character flaws as well. So, you know, that to me, I think is a is a big deal because if you're going to vote on somebody's character, that's a tough thing. And obviously, I mean, talk about Schilling. The guy's got some issues, definitely. But what I'm telling you is it doesn't matter what the guy says or does or says or, or who he supports politically or whatever. What matters is is what he did on the field. That should be the metric that you judge in terms of, okay, what did this guy do? Why is he up for consideration and why is he on this ballot here? And the answer to that question is 
what he did with the Red Sox, what he did with the Diamondbacks, and you can tell Schilling tore apart probably one of the great now not the the murderers row yankees obviously which is one of the the greatest Yan- the, the greatest yankee team of all time but arguably Schilling the top the three ended the top three second dynasty yank top dynasty. three yankee so. teams that was almost unbeatable how many world series games did they win in a row i think it was something ridiculous like 11 or something like that they've i do not know sweeps. the amount that they've won in a row but they've they've had won they had two sweeps in that in that three world series in, in that a row three up until that point so Two sweeps. What, what what Schilling did in that in that season, and I've watched that that World Series film because you know I was in, I was bored one uh, February in high school and I was like you know what I'm gonna watch a bunch of a bunch of World Series films because this is before the Cubs had won so I wanted to see what it was like, and I watched it and they talked about that series and what Schilling did and what that team was. It was such a great World Series team and Schilling was a huge part of it. Yeah, and the guy played, I believe, with the whole the whole deal with the bloody sock thing was that the the whole issue he had with his tendon, which, um, and he played uh, through that, sock. powered through that, um, and ended up winning, and and he was just absolutely an, an invaluable asset to any team that he was on, and to me, it's a no brainer. That guy belongs in the Hall of Fame. It's it's unfortunate with the decision that they made, and I don't think that they're ever going to be able to get him uh, over that threshold. And let's talk about Barry Bonds for a second. He should not be allowed um, within the Hall Barry of Fame Bonds, or any baseball field. Barry Bonds should be banned from the grounds of any Hall of Fame um, memorabilia or any place or whatever. Hank Aaron is the home run king, and Hank Aaron will always be the home run king. And A lot, a, a lot, of, a lot of people agree with this, but there's a whole new class of, of voters in here. And we we got we got a couple minutes before we got off the break here, but a lot of a lot of voters are looking past the decisions of the steroid players in the nineties and early two thousands because those are now the writers who grew up during those times, well, who watched baseball in that time, and they look past it. They're like, that's just you know, and I hate to say it, but steroids did help baseball a lot in that time. In the nineties, baseball was down, and the home run races of Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and Bonds coming out. Of nowhere, even though he was basically a Hall of Fame player before he started writing up, really did help the game. But now, do you want to look back and say, just because they helped the game, they deserved the Hall of Fame, even though they cheated? I'm on board with no. Now, then again, if you put one in there, you might as well just throw them all in there at that point. Because Pete once Rose. you let one one steroid player in, just pick a whole section in the Hall of Fame for him then. Pete Rose. Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. Now, granted... The, big, the, the, the thing about Pete Rose is he did clearly he got caught breaking a clear violation of uh, the code by betting on himself and other teams. And, yeah, that was a whole terrible situation. And then he, he kind of fits. Now, he's – well, I think he should be in the Hall of Fame, yes. I think he'll be in after he dies because the league does not want to give him the pleasure of saying, look, I'm finally here now. After all these years of you saying I don't belong here, I made it. They don't want to give him that kind of – that kind of feeling. And also with Shoeless Joe Jackson is another player that a lot of that a lot of guys will throw around for the Hall of Fame. I think he should be in there because there is clearly no proof that he participated in the throwing of the nineteen nineteen World Series with the yeah. White Sox. But that's a whole nother story for but the another thing with, day. with Bonds is is that Rose is not anywhere near as likable in terms of that. In ter- They're it, both very unlikable uh, people. Well, I'll give the thing you that. is Bonds seems to be very popular with that gosh darn home run home run record that he that he has and that record apparently still stands in spite of everything that they say is like oh it doesn't count doesn't count well it still stands and that's the record to beat so i can tell you right now hank aaron did it on hot dogs and beers okay that's that's how he got 
where he where he was. I mean, that's that's an old saying for for old school baseball. Bonds did it on all these. You know, he he says his, his training regimen was he you know, he cranked that up. I'm like that that's just garbage. I mean, in, yeah, in two and years, and if you, you look go and if you like look at 180 pounds to like yeah, if you if you look at like 1993 Barry Bonds to 2000 Barry Bonds, I know yeah. seven years is a lot, but not only did he grow his arms and all, but his head got wider, and that's and it clearly totally scientific theory here. Is your head gets bigger from you taking steroids? There you go. And he lost no, the mustache. No backing to that, but I. Visual proof. He lost a mustache too. He did, and he also stopped stealing bases. So that's an but. All right, Bonds, no Hall of Fame. Rose should be in there. Schilling should also be in there. And Shoeless Joe. That's what we have determined, right? Well, Schilling should be in there over Rose. Um, I don't know. Jackson should be. Well, Schilling didn't break any rules in the league. I mean, the uh, Rose yes. broke okay. a rule. All right. He didn't cheat, but he broke a rule. Schilling didn't break any rules in terms of the game. Shoeless Joe Jackson. Should be in there as well because there was no actual proof that he broke um, broke the rule there with with the whole scandal there. So the deal with Jackson is if you if you can't prove it, you can't just not throw a guy in there because you don't like him. And that's essentially what they're doing with Schilling, and and that to me is is disgraceful. And so whether you like the guy or not uh, should have nothing to do with it. I think that his the the, the play there. Um, matters to me, and if the guy's if the guy's play is there, then he's he's first on the list to me. All right, we're going to take a short break. We come back this week in hockey. All this and more in Hot Corner on KCU 88.1 FM and KCU.FM. A ranger station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire, and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update. I'm going to let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. My part-time service in the Army National Guard makes it possible for me to be more for the community I call home. My training helps me at work when I lead by example. My service in the Army National Guard allows me to keep my community and those I care about safe from threats. Learn more about how you, too, can live and serve part-time close to home by visiting NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Missouri Army National Guard. Aired by the Missouri Broadcasters Association at this station. One of our segments we've been doing starting last... Uh, I believe we started our first our first ever season of the show. This week in hockey, and I'll, as usual, throw it over to our hockey expert here in the studio, Logan Phillison. So this past weekend is definitely, the, I, I don't like going back that far, but this is probably the biggest news of the week in the NHL, and it is the Winnipeg Jets traded Patrick Laine and restricted free agent Jack Roslevic to the Columbus Blue Jackets for center Pierre-Luc Dubois and a 2022 third-round pick. And there's a lot to break down here. Really, it feels like all three players involved in this trade wanted out of their respective homes. Line was reportedly unhappy with Winnipeg. Jack Roslovic had not signed his restricted free agency tender, which means he was not even on the team. And he recently signed an um, extension with Columbus. But regardless, there were rumors about Line that he wanted top six minutes. There was also rumors from a Finnish publication, which is named... a. a I'm, I'm going to butcher the name, but Etel Haiti, I think is how it's pronounced. Regardless, there was rumors about his treatment from Blake, Captain Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley. 
that they were talking behind his back and that Wheeler maybe felt threatened that Line was taking his position as top right wing, even though we, Line never took over on the top line. Regardless, nothing is confirmed, but Wheeler did say when Line was traded, quote, maybe I could have communicated better instead of getting frustrated. So whatever that means is what it means. And Pierre-Luc Dubois also wanted out of Columbus. His relationship with Coach John Tortorella was potentially fractured. Again, we don't know anything for sure, but it seemed that way. And he kind of forced his way out. There was a game where he was benched because he wasn't, you can tell on any of his any of his given shifts, he just wasn't giving the effort. And Tortorella said, you know what, you're benched. And then that kind of accelerated the trade talks. And yeah, Pretty much in any, in any sport, once once you get benched, you want out. Yeah, and Dubois said that Tortorella wasn't the reason. Obviously, he's going to say that we'll never know if that's true or not. And Tortorella acknowledged after the trade that him and Dubois had had conflict, and you can't really deny that because there are videos out there of both of them yelling each other, yelling at each other on the bench. Like, that stuff's out there. But he says that conflict is a good thing, and the, um, the thing he said in that interview that really, really raised my eyebrows was, if everybody's happy, you're going about it the wrong way. So he believes the conflict is a good thing and all you know, all that. It helps foster winning, helps foster a team, however you want to put it. But my opinion is that this trade is asset management. Did, did Winnipeg overpay for Pierre-Luc Dubois? Yeah, definitely. You know, Patrick Laine is a generational talent. Nobody's going to argue that. But if Laine isn't in your long-term plan, not long-term plans and neither is Rosalik, their value immediately goes way down. So at that point... You know, Pierre-Luc Dubois isn't in Columbus's plans, and Line and Roslevic aren't in Winnipeg's plans. It's asset management at its core. So Columbus, you know, is readying up for a playoff run potentially this season, and they've just gotten a lot better. And I think they got the better end of this deal value-wise. But when you look at it from both sides, it's mutually beneficial. It takes people who aren't in your future and gets you people who are. So it really just kind of breaks even in that in that sense. Is it, but is it going to save Winnipeg from being swept in the first round? If they make the playoffs. That's if Winnipeg makes the playoffs. I don't know if... They, I mean, they're doing pretty well right now. I think they're third in the North Division. Or in, in the... um. What, what did you call it last week? The Great White North. The Great White North Division. And, I mean, they could stay there. They're a pretty good team. Montreal and Toronto are also pretty good this year. So it's the top four teams in every division. No, they so they should just have need called it either the Canada Division or they should have called it the Great White North. I know. I would have gone with the Canada Division. I would have gone with the Canada Division. Here's the deal with John Tortorella. Um... It seems to me as if the guy gets into a lot of feuds. I mean, if you ever see the guy in his some of his press conferences, the guy is is just one of these really strict um, coaches as just a stickler for certain things. And obviously, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you remember his feud with Joe Thornton, uh, Logan, where he basically Joe Thornton was. I think this is when with Tortorella was with the Rangers at the time, and uh, the Sharks were there, and Thornton came in and played, and they, he said this is the easiest uh, road team or the easiest team i've played ever on the road and tortorella went you know yeah well thornton you've been in the league and you're one of the greatest players to have never won anything so you should shut up and i was like oh my goodness gracious that's i was like wow but the thing is is at the time i didn't realize that this was you know normal for him i mean he's a type of guy that speaks his mind and in press conferences if a phone rings he kicks you out i mean that's just the way that works and that's the type of coach that he is and if you don't put the effort in he's kicking you out and so to me that doesn't surprise me at all that one bit yeah and i mean he's he's a character for sure but eventually you look back and you look at all i mean and they talked about this in that sports interview that he did that you look at kind of some of the players who have left and i can't remember some of the examples that you put up but artemi panarin is one who left under his watch and 
now now Pierre-Luc Dubois, so, yes, Breadman. And they actually <laughs> called him Bread in the interview, which I thought was great. But, like, you look at that, and eventually you've got to start to wonder, like, what if it's you? You know what I mean? Like, maybe, and I don't want to say that Tortorella is the problem, he's a, he's a good coach, but when players keep wanting to leave, eventually you have to look somewhere else to where the problem is, unless it's just the teams being bad, which is, you know, a whole different thing. Eventually, you just got to look at it and be like, okay, what's actually the problem here? Why do people want to keep leaving? My speculation on that is that I think that he kind of treats everybody equally. I think that there's no there's no um, consideration for better players. There's no kind of lead way for better players. And I think in some degree that should be. I mean, I don't want to you know make a point here for another sport, but you look at Deshaun Watson, the guy's picking the next head coach, for God's sake. I mean, that's if that's not special consideration, I don't know what is. But I think with Tortorella, he kind of holds everybody to the same standard, and whether or not that's the way, I mean, I certainly think that in terms of children's games, I think that's what you have to do. But this is this is the NHL. I mean, mm-hmm. this, this is the real deal. And when you get in a situation like that, you know, you're going to get people there that who are top generational talents who are not going to like you if you if you coach that way, and that's that's definitely a problem to me. Yeah, well, and he'll tell you that, too. He'll tell you that that's his philosophy. He's going to treat everyone equally, and he's going to push you to be better, and that's what he's going to do for everyone. So, I mean, that's admirable. At least he knows what he's doing there and how you know he has his own coaching style. But, I mean, some sometimes when you're forcing your best players out the door, you might want to take a look in the mirror. That's all I'm saying. I don't think he changes, though, to be honest. He, he probably won't, but, I mean, you know, maybe maybe he should. That's all I'm saying. As always, with our This Week in Hockey segment, we have an awards ceremony where we reward a Skater of the Week, Goalie of the Week, and Team of the Week, as usual. I go first. Skater of the Week, Nikolai Ehlers. 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 There you go. There you go. It took me a second time. Winnipeg, four goals, five assists, nine total points, and one hit. So that's <laughs> my Skater of the Week. Small guy. I'm surprised he had a hit. All right, I guess that means I'm up next. Yes, My Michael skater Williams. of the week is Mitch Marner of the Toronto Maple Leafs, not the Maple Laughs. They are good this year, and that's a little bit of a prelude to who I'm picking for my team. <laughs> Five goals, seven okay, assists, 12 points on the year. They do have an assist. Actually, you know what? I have a friend from Canada years ago that told me about that, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Marner's had a pretty good season so far. Um, credit to him. He's my skater of the week. They'll be good until they get bounced in the first round of the playoffs. Anyways, my skater of the week is Pia Suter of my beloved Blackhawks. And the reason I say that is because he had his first NHL goal and his second and his third all in the same game. So first three career goals for Pia Suter, and they come in on a hat trick. So I wanted to give him some recognition for that. All right, for goalie of the week, I have... Uh, excuse me one second. There you go. John Gibson from the Anaheim Ducks, or as I call them, the Mighty Ducks. Always will be the Mighty Ducks. 2-0, .958 save percentage, and one shutout on the week. That's my goalie of the week. Michael, you're up. I'm going to go with Semyon Varlamov, 9-6-6 save percentage, two shutouts on the year, currently tied with John Gibson in that category. Three wins, uh, around one goal a game he allows, so he's my goalie of the week. And I didn't want to double up on Chicago with this one, so I didn't, but I did want to give Kevin Lincoln in a big shout because he's been playing well this week. But regardless, my actual goal, goalie of the week is Anton Kudobin of the Dallas Stars. 69 for 72 this past week, a .958 save percentage. He's 3-0 and and had one shutout. So, yeah, Anton Kudobin for me. And for a team of the week, speaking of the Toronto Maple Leafs, I have Toronto as my team of the week. They've won their last three games. They are 
first in the Great White North Division of the NHL Team of the Week. Michael, you're up. As as uh, Dion Dawkins once said, you already know. Um, I picked Toronto as well, and you know that because I told you about that five seconds ago. Uh, three straight wins so far, beating Edmonton and sweeping Calgary. They play Edmonton again on Thursday the 28th, which is, oh, today. Uh, they played fairly well so far in that series, and that's why they're my team of the week. Congratulations, Toronto. This week I went with the Dallas Stars simply because one of their stats is something I've never heard before. They finally started the season after having like half their roster in COVID protocol. They finally are now playing their season. They're 3-0 and this week, and in two games against the Predators... They had 12 power plays and scored eight times. Eight power play goals across two games, which is ridiculous. So, yeah, currently the best power play in the league statistically. Obviously, that's going to come back down to earth, but an incredible week on the power play for the Dallas Stars. All right, we're going to take a short break here. When we come back, the final word. All this and more on Hot Corner on KCU 8.5 and KCU.FM. If you love them enough to sit through their favorite boy band with them, then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're correctly buckled in the back seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ag Council. Okay. Hey, this is KCOU 88.1 FM. Are you trying to release the hottest project of this year, possibly next? Come down to our studio in the Student Center can mix, master, record, edit, engineer your whole project, your whole artistic experience wrapped into one visit. Please come down and visit us. If any of this interests you, please email sessions at kcou.fm. <laughs> well, you know you make me wanna kick my heels up When you hear that, it means one thing. My favorite segment on the show and our signature segment for the show, the final word. As usual, I pick a weird sports story first, and then Michael goes second, and then Logan goes after. I just had a board hit my knee. That's why I made a little bit of a little noise Anyways. All right. Without further ado. <laughs> he hit it again. All right. Without further ado, I'm going to go. And this story comes from someone very close to me, and he found it for me. And honestly, I'm very proud that they did. So, remember how we all said shin-kicking would be the weirdest thing we discuss on the show? Yeah. Well, this week, I've got something that is a little more insane. And this sport comes from the last frontier, the great state of Alaska, and a staplement in the World Eskimo Inuit Olympic Games. The sport is called ear-pulling. Okay. Before before you guys just look at me like I'm nuts, let me take a look. let me let me explain it a little bit here. So, with ear pulling, it takes both raw strength and grit to win. The rules are this: two people sit on the ground, crisscross applesauce like in kindergarten, and attach a snoot to one of their ears, opposite ends. So, like if what? it's on my right, it'll be any other person's left. And think of it almost as a game of tug of war. When the ref says go, both people try; they won't move their necks. They'll just start pulling back and back. And it looks like, there's a video on this. It looks so painful. And the, and the key is either to pull it off of the person's ear or, or until they, they stop, they, they, they give up, essentially. And, you know, this is, not, this is one of the, the like, you'll have to see the video because it's completely fascinating if people can do this. And it's like the string. And with the string, you'll eventually, it'll cut into your ears, but there's some people who will, like, 
they don't they just, they just look there they have like the ultimate poker face on and they feel nothing and they'll just keep doing it and they'll win this is this going to turn into the Mike Tyson Evander Holyfield situation I mean I'm serious also it turns into like a really weird way to pierce your ears I feel like it's not it's not in your ear you wrap it around like, a, like oh like, it's gonna but it still pulls your ear, ear right it pulls your back of your ear do you used to ba- yeah I, oh god okay <laughs> I don't want to talk about this anymore I don't like this so when I eventually pitched this idea to uh, the radio to uh, our sports director Nash. They're like, hey, for initiation, instead of like you know paying dues and everything, why don't we do an ear pulling contest? Whoever wins gets in for free. I think that's worthwhile, right? <laughs> I say, I think, I think oh, so. God. I'd win. You know it. I, I wouldn't participate. So whatever <laughs> that means for me, I'm sorry. All right, Michael, you're up. Okay. Um, rest assured, I think this conversation and this debate has come to an end. My hero of the week is no one other than the greatest quarterback of all time, Tom Brady. Okay, okay, Tom Brady, you say, why? Proving all the haters wrong, decades worth of arguments, the whole Bill Belichick situation, is Belichick going to be, the, was Belichick the reason why Brady won? The answer is no. And that, rest assured, puts an end to the Brady System QB argument. Is Manning still better than Brady? The answer to that is also no. Because they say, oh, well, Manning went to the Broncos and won with the Broncos team. Well, here's the deal. Brady's doing the exact same thing. And remember, the Broncos team made the playoffs with Tim Tebow in 2011 at 8-8 and beat the Steelers. They were a good team prior to Manning's arrival. Brady came in with the Buccaneers, team with minimal winning history, took him to the Super Bowl on his first year. Greatest of all time, my hero of the week, Tom Brady, debate over. Yeah, I don't think you'll hear any disagreement in this room. So, My story, my feel-good story for this week, comes to you from the city of Ravenna, Ohio. I'm going back to some nice local stories. Um, this one written by Tom Nader, the record courier. And Marlon Jones is a high school basketball coach, and he's lived in Ravenna all his life, and now he's coaching the basketball team there. He'd been coaching there for years, but was now finally promoted to head coach. And unfortunately, they went 3-9 and nine in their first season. But you can see the arrow kind of pointing up for this team, and he's trying to build... A winning culture, and the way he's the way the um, Jim Lunarski, the Ravenna AD, said it is: the wins and losses will come, and a building building a program will come. But Marlin is also investing time to raise the bar for expectations of the core values. The way our student athletes behave on and off the court matters to me, and Marlin knows that. He expects the same. My trust in Marlin is high. He knows in the community, he knows the community, he knows the kids, and he has built trust with the kids. So it kind of feels like a situation to me that's a bit more than sports. It's building this winning culture and just, you know, um, the way Jones put it is our players need to know that when they talk, when they walk out there on the court, they represent their family, they represent the city of Ravenna, and the name across the front of their jersey means a lot. So it just, it, it felt nice to me to kind of hear about this coach that's on the up and up, and it's just, it, it, it was a great story to me. Maybe it won't be to you guys, but I, I thought it was a great story. I think it's a great story. I think it's a great story. That there was pointing up in Ravenna, Ohio, so. <laughs> and with that... That is the end of another edition of the Hot Corner. Make sure to follow us on our social media page at Hot Corner Sports. You can follow yours truly at Patrick Carey and Logan at the Logan France and Michael at Emami Michael. Also, make sure to check us out on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and any other podcast services under the name The Hot Corner. We hope you have a wonderful Thursday, and we will see you next week, same place, same time. So until then, this has been a Hot Corner. Signing off. I knew there would be a time.